She was England's longest reigning monarch. She reigned for more than 70 years. Her coronation took place in Westminster Abbey, the very building where 300 years previously over 100 men gathered to produce the Westminster Confession of Faith. And on that day in 1953, she was crowned the Queen of the United Kingdom. That year, 1953, was one year before I was born, just for historical reference. That's so you millennials can say, ooh, that was a long time ago. Her reign ended with her death just three months ago. She was, of course, Queen Elizabeth II. The story is told of a comment she made to one of her chaplains who had been preaching on the second coming of Christ, after which the queen exclaimed, Oh, how I wish that the Lord would come in my lifetime. To which he replied, Why does your majesty feel this very earnest desire? And the queen replied, with quivering lips and her whole countenance lit by deep emotion, I should so love to lay my crown at his feet. You see, Queen Elizabeth got it right. That is clear. There are and have been many kings and queens and presidents and prime ministers and even dictators throughout history, the history of the world, both good and bad. But the best are those who readily confess that there is one king over all, over them all, a king of kings to whom homage is to be given and from whom their authority is derived. And the king does well to remember that his authority is indeed derived from the God of all authority. And therefore, as a steward, he will have to one day give account. Now, the background of this psalm has occasioned much discussion amongst the scholars. Who wrote the psalm? Was it King David? Was it his son, King Solomon? Was it someone else? From for whom was it written? King Solomon or one of his successors? Perhaps Jeroboam or Rehoboam? or the subsequent kings, all of his successors. But ultimately, these questions are of lesser importance because both kings David and Solomon were lesser kings. As great as they were, this psalm finds its fulfillment in great David's greater son. It's interesting to note that this particular Psalm 72 is not mentioned anywhere in the New Testament. And yet, from the first verse to the last. It is irrefutably messianic. While Psalm 72 is a prayer for an earthly king and the high nature of his calling, yet, in the words of Derek Kidner, it went so far beyond what is humanly attainable as to suggest for its fulfillment no less a person than the Messiah, end quote. The language far exceeds any achievement of any earthly king of Israel and so looks forward to the Messiah's reign. What's written here can only be true of him who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This psalm is about Jesus, whose birth we celebrate at this time of the year. Now, there are three ways that we see this in the psalm, and, uh, and those three ways can be summed up in one word, eternal or endless. The psalmist kind of skips around with themes throughout the psalm, so we will not be looking at it uh, by verse by verse, but I will endeavor to follow those themes, uh, which have as their common denominator the word eternal or endless. First of all, 
we see the king's endless reign. Secondly, we see the king's endless blessings. And then lastly, the king's endless empire. First, his endless reign. In the words of an oratorio that you might just hear at this time of the year, the kingdom of this world is become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever. King of kings, forever and ever. And Lord of lords, alleluia, alleluia. The eternality of his reign is set forth in several verses throughout this psalm. Look with me at verse 5. May they fear you while the sun endures, as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days, may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. Verse 17. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. Verse 19. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. In the well-known words of the prophet Isaiah, uh, we find another messianic text with this theme, Isaiah chapter 9. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. By that we conclude that the words of Psalm 72, while they apply to the earthly king, they go far beyond and they have their fulfillment in the king of all kings. Second thing we see is that this king will bring in, uh, usher in endless blessings. They will be material blessings and spiritual blessings. Verse 16, the material blessings. May there be abundance of the grain in the land. On the tops of the mountains may it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon, and may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. These material blessings which would be uh, issued in uh, by the coming king. Uh, these are blessings that spring from spiritual blessings. They are the result of spiritual blessings. A spiritual blessing is the soil from which all material blessings sprout. Look back at verse 3. Let the mountains bear prosperity. Let the mountains bear shalom for the people and the hills in righteousness. That word, you know, shalom, is the harmonious wholeness, which includes peace, and it includes prosperity. It's the overall inclusive blessing that God gives to his people, his covenant people. The king will bring not only prosperity, he will defend the cause of the poor of the people, and he will give deliverance to the children of the needy. He will crush the oppressor. And then again, verse 7, in his days... May the righteous flourish, and may peace abound. Not only that, but we remember um, as we consider the birth of the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, that this king is a good king. He is filled with compassion. Look back with me at verses 12 through 14. For he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of 
of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life, and precious is their blood in his sight. Now, the point here is that the blessings portrayed in Psalm 72 are endless uh, in in their reach. Till the moon be no more, his blessings, like his mercies, never come to an end. And then thirdly, we see an endless empire. An endless empire. It is a kingdom without borders. And the church is that empire. The church is the only empire upon which the sun never sets. Back in verse 8, may he have dominion from sea to sea. Any American would recognize that when we sing from sea to shining sea, it is a reference from the Atlantic Ocean to the Pacific Ocean, from coast to coast, the longitudinal boundaries of one particular nation. But this prayer recognizes no such boundaries. It is not for one nation, it is for all nations. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. The psalmist enjoins us to look for the day when all the kings will fall down before this king, when all nations will serve him. He tells us to look to the left, to look to the right, to look as far as the eye can see. Now, in these verses, there's a clear allusion to Exodus chapter 23, where we read, And I will set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines, from the wilderness to the Euphrates. For I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and you shall drive them out before you. But the language of Psalm 72 anticipates a greater day, a day when Israel will not drive out the nations uh, before uh, that inhabit the land, but will receive in the nations who come to pay tribute to her king. Verse 8 again, may he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick uh, the dust. May the king of Tarshish and the the, uh, coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. May all nations serve him. The psalmist says, look to the left. Verse 10, the first section, the first part of verse 10 May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. You see, from the vantage point of Jerusalem, the farthest point to the west, the end of the earth, as it were, would be Tarshish, southern Spain, and what we know as the Rock of Gibraltar. That marks the mouth of the Mediterranean, the Great Sea, and that place where the Mediterranean meets the even larger sea, the mighty Atlantic. So we look to the left, and we see the extent of the reign of the king of kings, the coming one, and the tribute that would be brought from west to east. And then we're told to look to the right, to the east, the second line in verse 10. But first we see the river, capital R, uh, which is a reference to the Euphrates, which flows from Babylon. Actually, it starts north of Babylon. It flows from Babylon south to the Persian Gulf to the Arabian Sea, and eventually to the Indian Ocean. In verse 10b, we read, May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. 
that is, the kings of two great nations on either bank of the Red Sea, most likely Yemen on the east bank and Sudan on the west bank, the Red Sea, which also connects its waters to the Arabian Sea. So you see the the point of what the psalmist is doing here. May he have dominion from sea to sea. He's referring to the Atlantic to the west, to the Arabian Sea to the east. It is a plea that the earth would be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. His is a kingdom without borders. It is an endless kingdom. So then, what are we to make of this? And how does it fit with Advent? What does this mean for us this morning as we consider Psalm 72? Well, it means this, friends. We have hope this day. In Matthew chapter 2, the nations are represented in the form of the Magi who came from the east in search of this Messiah King. The gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh are the symbolic fulfillment of our psalm, Psalm 72. The Magi came in hope, following a star. And when they saw the star, they came, that it came to rest over the place where the child was, we read in Matthew chapter 2, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. These kings from the east fell down and worshipped him, and they came with gifts, gifts that they were eager to open, as eager as some of our children will be on Christmas morning to open gifts. But these gifts were the gifts that they brought, that they brought in tribute to him who is born, king of the Jews, him who is born, king of kings. These kings from the east fell on their face to worship him. That is to say that the obeisance of the body as they bow reflects the generous obedience of the heart as they open gifts and present this babe, this child with gifts, gifts from kings. And for us who are not rich, at least not rich by the world's standards, Oh, well, what can we do? What can we bring? Well, I think the words of the hymn, Christmas hymn, which uh, has our children in mind, beautiful hymn, asks the question, what can I give him? Poor as I am. If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. And if I were a king, a wise man, I would do my part. But what I have, I give him. I give him my heart. We know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, so that we through his poverty might become rich. And friends, remember this, this Christmas and all days, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. Queen Elizabeth II, for all of her noble virtues, was but a titular head of the Church of England, as is her son, King Charles, or as her son will be on May 6th when he um, is crowned at his coronation. But no one expects everyone to render obedience to the queen or the king of England. They are but figureheads. But this king warrants, deserves, merits our heartfelt and grateful obedience forever. You know, perhaps sadly, gone are the days when the king was to be obeyed. You know those days. You say, jump, and I say, how high? 
The story is told of Sir Leonard Wood. He was once visiting the king of France, and the king was so pleased with him that he was invited for dinner the next day. When Sir Leonard went to the palace, the king met him in one of the halls. Why, Sir Leonard, I did not expect to see you. How is it that you are here? Well, did not your majesty invite me to dine with you? Asked the astonished guest. Yes, replied the king, but you didn't answer my invitation. And then it was that Sir Leonard uttered one of the most choice sentences. He replied, a king's invitation is never to be answered. It is to be obeyed. Now we would say, well, that was then, but this is now. And besides, we're Americans and we serve no king here. But this king was no American. He has earned your devotion and your obedience by his willing submission to the, will, to, to, the, to the purpose for which his father sent him. He was both a babe and he was a king. <clears throat> we read from the Apostle Paul that we can observe this, this Advent season by having this mind amongst ourselves, which is ours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In verse 13, Psalm 72, he has pity on the weak and saves the lives of the needy. And that is us. We are the weak and we are the needy. How does he do this? By laying down his own life. For Christ also suffered once for our sins, the just for the unjust to bring us to God. But for this king, justice was deferred. Our psalm starts, give the king your justice, O God. But for Christ, it was deferred. It came in the form of his vindication three days after his crucifixion and his subsequent exaltation as he is enthroned, seated at the right hand of the majesty of God. Which Paul continues in Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, in light of what he has accomplished, God has exalted him highly and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. The knees of kings from around the world, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The hope of Psalm 72 has been realized in Jesus Christ. And for us, what that means this morning is that there, although there will be times when we feel helpless, we will never be hopeless. We live on this side of the turning point of all human history, which was the announcement of John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. We live in the great in-between, in between the already of Christ's kingdom inaugurated in his first coming and the not yet, or should I say, still to come when he returns at the last day, the consummation of his kingdom. The battle has been won. 
It was one in a little town called Bethlehem where a baby was born, a babe about whom we sing the hopes and the fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. He was born of a woman. He was born under the law to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons, so that we might know that we belong to a family that is forever, just even as the kingdom is forever. This is the hope of Christmas. This is an unshakable hope, as unshakable as the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. This hope does not perish or spoil or fade. It carries us through this life as we walk as pilgrims from here to there. Unlike the resigned and even defeated lyrics of another song that you might just might hear at this time of the year, a song which says, And so this is Christmas. And what have you done? Another year over, a new one just begun. A very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Let's hope it's a good one without any fear. No. The hope of the Christian is filled not with human fear, but with wonder, with worship, and with great joy. And it begins on one's knees. Fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angel voices. Oh, night divine. Oh, night when Christ was born. Verse 11. May all kings fall down before him. May all nations serve him. As we close this morning, I want to make this observation growing up out of Psalm 72. Uh, You know that in the Gospels, the arrival of the Gentiles serves as bookends to the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ while on earth. Gentiles who wanted to see Jesus. They were there at his birth, as we've seen in Matthew chapter 2, and they were there at his death. We read in John chapter 12, Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, and they asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it will bear much fruit. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. The psalm concludes, may the whole earth be filled with his glory. May the whole earth be filled with the knowledge of the goodness, the righteousness, the mercy, and the salvation of the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended, and his prayers were answered.